This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. I'm Maura Dooley. How's everybody doing today? Uh, well, winter is almost here. We, <laughs> we, we saw signs of it over the passes. and It's all so my... cold in the morning now. <laughs> Got to turn those uh, seat warmers on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big fan of the seat warmers in the cold weather. The steering wheel heater. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I don't. I'm that. not. I'm not cool enough to have that. I need that. I know. I just put. <laughs> I just put gloves on and just yep. hope for the best. Yeah, but it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I recommend it. So, other than the cold weather, there are some cool things going on with heritage right now. Yeah. Well, advent calendars are people are adventing. Is are what you adventing. said to us. Yes, they are adventing early. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. They're available online and in all the tasting rooms and the beautiful green festive color scheme that our team all in house. I think our team did something like 1.2 million little bottles they filled to, wow. uh, to make all these. And nobody uh, lost a ring. Didn't somebody lose a ring last time? Yeah. Just, you know, be hard working. And no one no one brought it to the lost and found. So somebody somebody's got a ring somewhere. Aww. Someone got a Christmas present out there, you know, yeah. in their advent calendar. That's right. And then in Roslyn today, we've got the beer fest in Roslyn, the Mount Ale Brewfest. Mount Ale yeah. Brewfest. It's still running for a couple hours. It's in Roslyn Yard, which is right in the core of downtown Roslyn. And, and the core of downtown Roslyn is literally two blocks long. So if you go to Roslyn, you will see it. It's across the street from the distillery as so well. So one, one cool, th- I mean, one of the many cool <coughs> things about Roslyn, mm. it just says that small town feel and oh, yeah. historic feel. I call it Washington's most authentic small town because oh, it yeah. feels like you're back in the late 1800s when it was still king of coal. It was at one point the largest producer of coal in the U.S. was coming out of Roslyn, wow. Washington. And a town of less than 1,000 full-time residents. The buildings are very cool. You just feel like you walked back in time. So make sure to stop in, of course, to Heritage it's, out there. It's just like not even an hour from Seattle, depending on how you drive. Easy. Just over some Columbia Pass and drop right down in there. So, I love it. Yeah. What is going on in the headlines this week? Well, you guys have probably talked about this on sports radio, but <laughs> in Miami, uh, not only do the fans have to put up with uh, subpar football product <laughs> on the field, but they have, Sub-subpar. To, they have to overpay for beer. A vendor was arrested after charging over $700 for two beers at a, gol- at a Dolphins game. Uh, this is from the New York Post. Well, it was $724 for two beers. So it was two for one. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? It's only 360 bucks a beer. <laughs> um, evidently, uh, one of the vendors basically took personal credit card reader and manipulated it and started swiping cards and charged somebody $724 for two beers. He did not use the credit card reader provided by the Hard Rock Stadium. In fact, he did his, his own little off-the-shelf off uh, illegal one, and uh, he since has been arrested and is um, subject to a $10,000 bond and will probably be prosecuted, rightfully so. Yeah, these are no good. I had some friends go to World Cup in Brazil a couple of years ago. These are very common there. Speaking of sports and uh, and skimming devices, you would never allow someone to take your card away yeah. 
from the table or anywhere. They had to do it like right in front of you. And even then some people lose you money. So. And the worst uh, part, it wasn't even craft beer. It was domestic beer. So oh, you know, really, really expensive. Come on, Miami. Really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder how he came up with the number 724. I know. Yeah. No, it's a weird. If you're gonna tr- way overcharge someone, that's a weird number to settle. You should tra- on. probably is. stop trying to rationalize criminal behavior. <laughs> true, it just true. doesn't make sense a lot of time. Next up uh, from Cake.com, Applebee's. There are Applebee's all over the country. Uh, they have they have a program around around the year where they have one dollar cocktails. Now in October, one dollar vampire cocktail, <laughs> just in time for Halloween. It is a mix of. Rum, dragon fruit, passion fruit, and strawberry. It comes with fangs, probably the plastic fangs, <laughs> in a 10-ounce mug. They say that it is a freaky tiki drink served on uh, with a side of fangs. <laughs> and uh, it's only a buck, and it's going to be here until and through Halloween. So, Have you guys uh, ever... <clears throat> Had one of these one dollar Applebee's cocktails? I had their margarita. Uh, wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah, wasn't bad for a dollar. Yeah. Yep. This one sounds maybe a little too adventurous for me. Uh, well, but I'm if little, you have it, please let us know. I'm a little surprised because of the nature of the ingredients: the pas- the passion fruit, the dragon fruit, and the strawberry. Those aren't cheap because mm-hmm. it's not in season right now. So you know, it's probably a, probably a fairly good value for a dollar. And the rum is, you know, it, what is it's what rum is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And lastly, if you are a fan of Hershey's Chocolate, they have teamed up with Yingling. Yingling is America's oldest brewery, comes out of Pennsylvania. They are making the first official chocolate beer of Hershey's, and uh, it's going to be available in bars and restaurants throughout Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, New York, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, basically all of the East Coast states, mm-hmm. plus with Indiana and Kentucky thrown in there. So it's going to be available up through Valentine's Day. That makes sense. Chocolate on mm-hmm. Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Why not have a chocolate beer made by Yinglings, America's oldest brewery? That's their tagline. I like the idea of two Pennsylvania institutions teaming up together to make something yeah. it's fantastic. local. There's a lot of history. I'm honestly surprised that this hasn't happened yet yeah. before. And uh, Hershey... Hershey Town, USA is an amazing place to go. They've got a full amusement park and the full Hershey's experience. You go in on a tour, you sit in a little machine that it drives you around inside the chocolate factory. You get off the machine and it dumps you into the biggest Hershey's gift shop you've ever seen. <laughs> Some of the stuff you've never seen before. You I'd can probably only never buy leave. it there. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds so good. So, well, the fact anyway. that it's a porter sounds good. It, they tend to have a little bit of a chocolate note to them anyways. They so. do. It seems they like do. it wouldn't be overpowering if they're just putting a hint of that flavor into a porter. They describe it as having caramel and dark roasted malts for a smooth, rich, and delightful finish. 4% alcohol by volume. All right. So, so if you get to try these, please let us know. HeritageDistilling.com or we'll, we'll give the email address out here yeah, too. So we'll to we want to hear. We want to hear. Well, last week it was White Castle. I think, didn't we talk about uh, yeah. Planters Peanuts <clears throat> making their own beer? Kellogg's yeah. is, is using their waste to make beer. It's Really fascinating how many companies are getting into And now in the last four weeks, there have been five peanut butter whiskeys launched nationwide. Wow. Five different brands of peanut butter whiskey. Whoa. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have an epinephrine pen. pen (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't know that. In case you have an allergy Yeah. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, is wine healthier than beer? We're fans of both on this show. We'll find out next right here on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Is wine healthier than beer? This is the question posed by Time Magazine. And so it's, we, it's, 
It's one I feel like you hear your friends have different theories on. Yep. Whether they are watching their calories, their sugar intake, they seem to gravitate towards one, and they usually have a theory as to which one is better for you. But I wouldn't yes. say that I know by uh, by any account. And it's it is a general debate in in parts of the medical journals right now and and the other groups. Um, and there's on the one far side, uh, there are people who have the position that no alcohol is healthy for you at all. There are others who uh, refer to some of the old studies that say, well, a glass of wine a day may be good for your heart or for blood circulation. There are others who say, um, well, it depends on the amount you have in moderation. So I think it's important that first we set the record straight that we're not saying on this show whether or not alcohol is healthy or not. No, we're not medical professionals. (laughs) We are just talking about this article and what they explore in Time Magazine. That's right. Good uh, caveat. And we're not not, uh, here advocating for people to go off and, uh, you know, do all sorts of crazy things. This this show is really about responsibility, education, making, allowing you all to go off and have some new information to think about as you are just carrying on with your daily life. Okay. So first, let's just talk about some of the caloric information. Your question you posed was a really good one earlier. Is wine healthier? Is beer healthier or spirits healthier? You posed the question off the air. What about sugar what content? about sugar content? Okay. That seems to be a huge focus yeah. these days. Yeah. So first, what happens is if you drink alcohol, your body metabolizes the alcohol molecules into sugar. Mm-hmm. And then your body has to process the sugar. So even if you have, let's say, regular vodka where no sugar is added, and you have tonic with no sugar or soda with no sugar, your body's going to have sugar ultimately at the end of the day because the alcohol converts into sugar mm-hmm. through the process. Okay, same thing with beer and wine. There are products where they have added sugar, so that's extra sugar for your body to have to process. There are products with beer that have the carbohydrates. The carbs, mm-hmm. so your body has to process those things differently. So when you ask the question, "What's healthier?" it really depends on your perspective. Are you trying to not gain weight? Are you trying to affect your cardiovascular system some way? According to the the doctors' reports on wine, are you trying to have minimum calorie, calories? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that really is based on what you are trying to do in terms of how you manage the intake. So if we look first at beer, beer is going to run around 100 calories for a glass of light beer, somewhere between 90 and 100. A glass of reduced calorie wine, also 90 to 100 calories. A glass of champagne, about 84 calories per four ounces. A glass of uh, whiskey or vodka or gin, about 97 calories per serving. And a serving is one and a half ounces for a standard bar serving. So in general, you're going to be kind of in that range per serving of somewhere between 90 and 120 calories per serving. It just depends on how much alcohol is in there. The White Claws and the Trulies and the sparkling seltzers that are out there, where they're advertising lower calories, it's Mm -hmm. because there's less alcohol by volume. It's a 5% beer versus 9% beer, Mm -hmm. like a double IP or something like that. So. That's that's first as a baseline. Yeah, caloric intake. Caloric intake. And then are there other things added, other sugars, those kinds of things. So according to Time here, Time magazine, in the 80s, researchers noticed that the French, despite typically eating foods with lots of saturated fat and cholesterol, you know, lots of cheese, lots of butter, 
croissants, bread, bread mm-hmm. all that stuff, that they had lower heart disease and lower rates of early death. They called the phenomenon at the time the French paradox. They went to work figuring out what the explanation was, and they believed that wine emerged as the prime candidate. Uh, moderate wine consumption is a component of traditional Mediterranean diets. That includes everything up through um, southern Europe and into Italy. We know that Italy and, and, and Spain, they consume a lot of wine. It's part of their heritage and culture and history. Greece, I think, too, also Greece, has yeah. a long life long average lifespan and it's That's been right. theorized. So the research associated lower rates of disease and mortality with that kind of lifestyle. In 1992, there was a study in The Lancet, which is one of the large medical journals that found evidence that drinking wine and other kinds of alcohol could prevent or reduce arterial blockages. Again, not our quote, mm-hmm. quote from the, the article. Other research from around the time found that people who drank wine as opposed to beer had lower mortality risks. And uh, later, they zeroed in on a group of compounds found in grapes called polyphenols, in particular resvestrol, as the likeliest source of wine's health benefits, quote-unquote health benefits. Red wine, more than white wine, uh, contains the resvestrol. And uh, so the belief that came out of those studies was that red wine was, quote-unquote, healthier as other alcoholic beverages. Hmm. That healthier is on a relative scale. It's kind of like asking, what's healthier, mm-hmm. filet mignon or bacon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, again, it's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, well, it's assuming that everybody has the same dietary needs, which we know is absolutely not true. Everybody's an individual, and that's a conversation that, yeah, you have with your doctor about your needs. That's right. So then the article goes on to say that beer may have gotten a bad rap. In a 2006 study of grocery store purchases in Denmark, they found that people who bought wine also tended to buy more fruits, vegetables, and other healthy foods. Remember, we've talked in the show in the past about what kind of wine you drink often dictates the other types of foods or Mm -hmm. income or those kind of things, Mm -hmm. really was the reverse. Your background, maybe your income, your education may have led you to make other decisions. And so in this case, if you are buying red wine under the Denmark study, it may be that because of how you go about thinking about life, you're more likely to buy fruits, vegetables, and healthy food options as opposed to if you buy beer. That's what the study is I would say even on a smaller scale that sometimes if I'm just shopping and if I'm making like a nicer, healthier meal, I'm if I'm going to tend to pair wine with it more than if I'm, say, eating something unhealthy. If I'm buying a frozen pizza and I'm going to have a drink, I may buy beer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a function of the occasion. Yeah. Right. Uh, so meanwhile, back to the article, studies have found that cheese and some other sources of saturated fat and cholesterol may not actually raise a person's risk for heart disease and premature death. That undercuts the French paradox phenom that propelled wine into stardom in the 80s and Hmm. and early 90s. Uh, One of the professors at the Department of Nutrition and Dietetics at Greece's uh, Horacopio University, they have studied the long-term effects of wine and beer on heart health. Their research suggests that wine and beer are more or less equal when it comes to lowering a person's heart disease risk. Uh, they say that red wine has the most studied alcoholic beverage, and yet the recent studies and clinical trials reveal similar relationships for beer. Huh. So uh, to summarize that, what they said is, we've been studying wine and wine's effects on the heart and the body a lot longer than beer in these clinical trials, and yet even the recent studies show that they are about the same. That's interesting. I think that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would agree that most of what I've read about tends to be red wine research. And that would be, actually, I was going to ask you this, Justin, as a follow-up. 
Would you say that that what is the demographic of of Europe when they're drinking red wine versus white wine? We talk about France. Mm. Is there more red wine drinkers in general? I believe there's more red wine drinkers in the everyday kind of societal mm-hmm. things. And then you see a lot of the white wine that's being put into Prosecco, Spumantes, and gotcha. Champagne type of stuff. But there are some amazing, beautiful white wines that come from all over Europe and France, especially. Mm-hmm. Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, we're going to talk to Emma Heltaller of Blue Moon Tavern in Seattle. It's since 1934. She's going to tell us some of the history behind that and some of the history behind her family getting involved. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by Emma Heltaller, owner and operator of the Blue Moon Tavern, one of the most historic bars in Washington and in Seattle. So, Emma, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Lydia. Uh, Blue Moon's been around since 1934. Is that correct? Yeah. Hank Riverman opened it as the Blue Moon Cafe in 34. Wow. And it definitely had an Olympia beer sign in the window. So <laughs> there, was, there was no fallacies about it being more than just a cafe. And uh, we've been around ever since through many iterations and owners. So, yeah, I guess that's the next follow-up. How did how did you become part of that historic run? I, I only exist because of the blue moon. My father <laughs> bought it in 82 with wow. a couple of his pals who wanted to bring it back to life and my mother was a bartender next door at the fabulous rainbow and uh she she met my dad and they liked each other and i was born in 86 and i grew up in here oh i love that yeah so that is really cool family business what when did you know that other than growing up there that that's something that you wanted to take on from the business aspect my whole life, ever since I was teeny tiny, I just always knew that this was going to be my spot. <laughs> I was 10 when my dad started having me reupholster stools and <laughs> make merchandise like magnets and things and fold t-shirts for sale. So he's literally trained me my whole life to take over the bar. And uh, instead of just taking it over, I'm buying it from him so he can retire in style. Oh, nice, nice. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the thing, though, about bar ownership. We talk to a lot of people on the show it's and a lot, you know, not the people we've talked to, but there are people that just get into it as almost like a hobby, and it's not yeah. that at all. It takes up your whole life, and so yeah, from from the very beginning, you you were interested. What is your favorite element of being the owner operator? Is it customer service? Is it getting to feature some of these cool live acts you do? What's your favorite element of it? It's just the togetherness in general, the fact that we are such an eclectic place from the humans who come in here to the entertainment that we provide. You know, it it truly is a place for everybody, which is my my favorite aspect. You can have a conversation with any person from any walk of life about Mm -hmm. anything in here and hear music from hip hop to jazz. You know, we have uh, opera on tap. The, the wonderful local opera singers will come through and sing arias for us. And and that's that's really what it is for me, is that it, it feels like it's still a genuine melting pot where everybody's welcome. That is really cool because I know you're over in the university district, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just awesome that you get such a mix of people and not just, just students. Absolutely. Uh, especially since... Um, when the bar was built, it was, you know, just after Prohibition, and you legally needed to be a mile away from the campus. Oh, wow. And, of course, those laws have adjusted, and so a lot of the students just 
stop at University Way and don't come this far anymore to look for a bar. Well, speaking of the history, too, we're uh, doing some in looking in this. And so is there some legal restrictions around calling it a tavern? It's uh, just arbitrary liquor control board stuff. You know, once we started selling hard liquor, um, we couldn't be called a tavern because they only serve beer and wine, supposedly. But, you know, it's it's just one of those silly loopholes that they yeah. could, you know, pick on us about if they wanted to. <laughs> but on, on our license, you know, it says we're a nightclub. We're no longer a tavern. Interesting. See, yeah, we learn we learn new things every yeah, week I on the show. That. Yeah. <laughs> what is the best part of the of the live entertainment experience? You mentioned some pretty unique things there. I, I've never talked to anybody who's had arias uh, performed on tap. What's what's one of the best parts of of creating that live entertainment schedule? Um, I think that one of the best parts about it is how many acts come through here on open mic and, you know, mm-hmm. just start, uh, you know, cutting their teeth, getting comfortable on a stage here. And then a couple years later, we have them performing with their full band. Wow. And so it, it, it kind of just has this sort of family vibe where it's, it's uh, no matter what kind of musical stylings you're into, if you just... If you kind of if you sit with the blue moon, then you can perform here, and it's it's fun too. The 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 musical community uh, really rallies behind this place, and even though it's kind of funky and our capacity isn't enormous, they they're still willing to play here. You know, acts such as Kinski, who's been around for like twenty years, and they're amazing musicians who travel the world, but they're still willing to play here. Or the Moon Doggies, you know, who mm-hmm. are super popular, signed with Sub Pop, and uh, this was one of the first venues that they played over a decade ago. So, oh. Well, since music is obviously no a focus for you, did you, do you have any kind of background in music, or have you just always been a music lover? I'm definitely a music lover. I, I wouldn't call myself a musician, even though I play several instruments and I've performed on stage before. I just, I know too many actual musicians to call myself <laughs> one. Um, my, my father is an incredible guitar player and songwriter and singer, and you know, I, I, I grew up curled up in his guitar case listening to him play songs with his friends. Oh, man. That, yeah, I, I, and I love all kinds of music. That's neat, too. And that always comes across uh, when you're passionate about something. And and it it's just an, it's an, an contagious feeling, I think. so. That But music, though, not the only live act that you guys have. You've had comedy, too? Oh, yeah. And, and all, all forms of comedy. We... Um, have open mics every Sunday with the Comedy Crater, which starts at 10 o'clock, and they're they're hilarious, and they go out of their way to do new and interesting things here. For example, they started what they call the heckle mic, where they actually <laughs> offer a microphone to the audience, like, if you really want to talk during my set, then here, let's get this going. Have a microphone here, kid. Like and that, that sort of interaction is really fun. And uh, we also, um, every year, host uh, in- Indigenous Comedy Night on uh, Indigenous People's Day, which is super wonderful and um, featuring all Indigenous local comedians. Wow. So that's coming up then. And, yeah. Uh, yep. That, it's going to be on the 14th. Awesome. And if people are interested in coming to that or coming to any of the events you have coming up, is there a calendar? Can they check this out online? Yeah, uh, thebluemoonseattle.com should have all of our events uploaded. And, um, you know, we try to keep our Instagram up to date. 
I'm really bad at Facebook, and there's no excuse for that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, I think it's just my quality of life or something. I just can't handle Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> take up a lot of your time. Like you said, you know, buying a bar or owning a bar, it, it really does swallow up your whole life. It can't just be something that you do casually. And and I obviously I, I have an affinity for the place. I'm sort of biased considering that I exist because of it. But also, it's just I'm I'm also just passionate about community, and um, that that's definitely the best part of being a bar owner is is letting people know that there's still a community that they can exist in and be themselves. And sounds like a pretty rich one there at Blue Moon Tavern. How do you take on all that history, even especially being so close and personal to you with your family, but also add your own touch to it and make and make it your own? Oh, well, probably my narcissism or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I have such good ideas. <laughs> no, it's, it's just my, my heart's in the place. And um, the people that I employ are my family. Mm. I mean, uh, one of one of my bartenders, I've known him my entire life. His parents met here as well. One of my bartenders is the godfather of my children. Another one of my bartenders I named my firstborn after. Wow. wow. I met my husband here. He was just a sound tech, and now he helps <laughs> me run the bar. You need to start a matchmaking business. Yes. <laughs> it, it, is, it is kind of a matchmaking <laughs> location. A lot of people have managed to fall in love here. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I do know um, our sponsor for the show, Heritage, you said you feature some of their alcohol there. Is it important to you? I know you talk about community to feature local drinks and cocktails and beers. That was probably one of the first things that I really tackled when I took over management three years ago was just trying to make sure that we had as many local distilleries and breweries represented here as possible. So not only do I carry Heritage, but I also carry Ula. Mm-hmm. Uh, on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill, which is a great product. Copperworks, which is a distillery mm-hmm. right next to Pike Place Brewery, yeah, we've which I also them on carry. The show too. It's, uh, so, you know, we've been carrying Hale's beer since 1984 when they opened. Wow. You know, they'll always be on tap with us. And yeah, I mean, I feel kind of sorry for my Anheuser-Busch representative. <laughs> I, I really cut out a lot of my purchases. They'll be all right. To, to yeah. go local. That will that yeah, I think they'll survive. Yeah, they'll be okay. That is so cool, <laughs> Emma. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us and and tell us about this uh, this cool community that you inherited, but also created and continue to foster. We'll make sure people head out to the Blue Moon Tavern if they haven't already. Yes, I hope they do. And you know, uh, our our history of being a Grateful Dead bar is still alive and true. <laughs> I know and many Andy deadheads. Coban okay, plays good. Almost every Monday. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, Still plenty of room for deadheads in here. Yes. <laughs> where One more time, where should people check out for more info? If they're interested in uh, the Blue Moon itself, I would go to thebluemoonseattle.com. And it's, it's, in, uh, it's in progress, but there's, there's definitely events up there. And if you're just interested in uh, local history, I would recommend historylink.org which was started by the great Walt Crowley. And um, you can learn about the Blue Moon or any aspect of Pacific Northwest history through that that site, which is fun. That is so cool. Once again, Emma Heldaller, thank you so much for talking to us. Hey, and thanks, Lydia. Yeah, we'll hopefully uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely.
Thanks again to Emma. Coming up next, we've talked about some pretty special bottles of whiskey, scotch, or wine that have gone for big money at auctions. But we're going to talk about something related to alcohol and a famous author. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. We've got a great new cocktail recipe for you in just a minute. But first, we've talked a lot about mm, old alcohol selling for prices that make our mind boggled. But now we're talking about one of the most famous authors, I would say, in the history of literature. Uh, His record, his liquor log, selling for a lot of money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is from atlasobscura.com. This was an interesting story. This Maybe this gets us in the mood for the holidays right around the corner <laughs> when you think about Charles Dickens and think about Christmas yeah. and all that. So this this uh, little piece was called Sold, Charles Dickens's Liquor Log. On June 6th, 1870, Charles Dickens strolled into the cellar of his country house called Gad's Hill Place in Kent and surveyed his liquor stores, otherwise known as his bottle of all of his stuff. His bottles, all the bottles. The day before, wine merchants at Joseph Ellis and Sons had dropped off a cask of good sherry. If Dickens wanted whiskey, he could dig into stone jars of it, including some of the 30 very fine gallons that had been delivered the previous January. But Dickens was expecting company. His daughters were coming to visit. So as often as he did, uh, see, as often did when guests come to visit, the writer took stock of his intoxicants and recorded the inventory in a clear, firm hand in his household notebook. Three days later, after a sudden brain hemorrhage, Dickens was dead. The notebook, wow. though, lived on just like much of his writing. This one, though, living on in a different way, passed for years through the hands of various manuscript collectors. It's now a yellowed notebook, bluish with Dickens' spidery script, and it ended up being auctioned off on September 24th by Sotheby's in London, selling for the equivalent of 14641 U.S. dollars. One of the many Dickens-related items that were auctioned off from the collection of Lawrence Dreisen for more than $2 million. Wow. That's right. So there's a hugely passionate collector community for Dickens, says Gabriel Heaton, the specialist from Sotheby's Books and Manuscripts Department. Those that participate in the auction had their pick of Dickens classics, including first editions of Great Expectations, which sold for $217,000, A Christmas Carol, which sold for 116000 But the humble household inventory had something great these works didn't. It was the last thing that Dickens wrote. It's kind of amazing, too, that this is, was essentially a ledger, but you're keeping track of your own liquor collection. You know, we've all had parents or people that mark bottles where they're measuring to make sure, you know, maybe you're not getting into the liquor supply. But I kind of can't imagine doing this when your friends come over. And like, it seems that's an interesting... Well, and even it mentions that people usually had staff do stuff like that and he wanted to do it himself. Himself. It seems like he definitely maybe was a little bit of a control freak. But they also mentioned that at that point his health was declining and he couldn't walk the grounds anymore. So it also seems like it might have just been something to keep him busy, keep his brain, you know, moving, doing things. Pretty interesting. I also thought it was a funny note that they said he didn't keep gin, which was considered a drink of the poor. Oh, hey, another shout out to me on this show for (laughs) loving gin so many times. What was it that we talked about in the past that more sociopath sociopathic (laughs) tendencies? Yeah, Yeah. gin gets a bad rap. Yeah, wow. 
yeah, impressive that he was keeping track of all this. And now it belongs to somebody for the low price of just under $15,000. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wonder... What would people think of me if they looked, if I kept notes of everything I consumed? Of everything you consumed yeah. and they consumed, In this too. day and age, what would people think? There would be a lot of judgy people out yeah. there. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> that's true. No one would pay $14,000 for a book of, of what I consumed over the course of my lifetime. You don't no, know, Justin. Don't. don't sell yourself short. So. <laughs> You're a tremendous think slash, it would for yeah. me either. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a brand new cocktail recipe for you if you want to get into. This one sounds really good. This is like a good cold weather drink, I feel like. It's a great cold weather drink, and it's great to make uh, for parties and for football watching and so on. We call this the Brown Sugar Manhattan. It features our BSB Brown Sugar bourbon in a pitcher add in a this is a small stirring glass one and a half ounces of bsp brown sugar bourbon two dashes of cocktail bitters and a half ounce of dry vermouth uh, you're going to put it in uh, with ice stir it until it's really cold and then strain it into a glass uh, no ice with a lemon twist now Ooh. a manhattan usually has bourbon or whiskey mm-hmm. and sweet vermouth this is like a reverse manhattan because you're using BSB brown sugar bourbon, which already has the brown sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And we're using dry vermouth to create kind of an offset and, and try to bring balance back to the cocktail. So we, we internally call this as a reverse Manhattan. I like um, it. You know, yeah, thing. that makes sense. We'll make sure this is available for you at heritagedistilling.com where you can check out past cocktail recipes as well. That's right. You can also send us comments, questions, suggestions, and uh, images, photos, whatever, at uh, email caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. You can find us on Instagram. We're using the Heritage Distilling Instagram uh, and also BSB, Brown Sugar Bourbon. And we love seeing people post on Instagram at hashtag drinkingBSB. There's some great things coming from around the country, people posting recipes and just themselves. And also we're on Facebook at Cask Club Radio. And finally, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Love it. Yeah, especially this time of year, I would imagine drinking BSB. You've got parties, you've got get-togethers with your family and friends. There could be some cool things to come out of that. Hot cider. It's amazing hot cider, hot chocolate. And, uh, you know, I want to take a moment around the end of the show to thank everybody for the support they've shown our company, the family-owned business for BSP specifically and what it's doing. It's it's in every state now, and it's getting on menus all over the place, and it's, it's getting into major retail chains across the country over the holidays. So if you played your own little part in that, thank you very much, and uh, don't worry, we'll keep making it. Ah, that's great. <laughs> I love that story. Well, make sure to check out uh, the, uh, the podcast, and we'll see you here next week. Don't drink and drive. Be safe. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.